0: at LuckyLandSlots.com.
1: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Candace Lim. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And I'm back, baby. I'm
1: not going to tell you what my ranking is in the (laughs) Bachelor um, final lineup, but Uh I will say that we've got a hot topic to talk about today, and it's the Emmys. The Emmys! This week... The TV Academy announced the nominees for the 71st Emmy Awards. So, this is stuff like outstanding lead actor in a drama series, writing, directing, and also best commercial.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Basically, anything you see on a TV or your kid's iPad. And I love the (laughs) Emmys. Like, I am very desperately obsessed with them, even more than the Oscars. But what about you, Rachel? So I'm not really an awards girly
1: at all. There's, There's really no award that I pay attention to, Um I like seeing people win. Mm -hmm. I like seeing people give their little speeches. I like getting outraged when like Green Book wins. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. other than that, I'm kind of just like we're do Again? again? There's another one? There's an okay, okay, I didn't know. But with that said, let's talk about these nominations. Other than the obvious ones, aka Succession getting something Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to say 100 nominations. That's not true, (laughs) but it feels true. But other than Succession absolutely sweeping, what's it out to you?
0: Man, I mean, I have to say that. I'm a little bit sad that Elizabeth Olsen got snubbed. You know, she was definitely a frontrunner for her role in Love and Death, and that was an HBO Max series, and so it was just odd to see her not get nominated, but her co-star Jesse Plemons got nominated, and I was like, okay, do you. Um, And here's the thing, I am Jury Duty Hive, I cannot believe (laughs) <laughs> that James Marsden of Sonic the Hedgehog fame got nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Like, it is insane to me that they snuck him in. You know what? Good for you. And, you know, of course, I'm happy for the bear, which I do think is unfortunately going to overtake the other person I'm happy for, Abbott Elementary, which was kind of like... The last year's Critical Darling, and I think the bear is going to swipe them a little bit. But overall, I'm not going to say I'm super surprised by what got in. I'm just going to say, yeah.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I will say that I'm still reeling from you describing James Marsden as of Sonic the Hedgehog fame. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's an insult to interesting, me and interesting. my ministry of the James Marston church. Um, I, on the other hand, I'm very happy. James Marston got nominated, not because I've watched her duty, but just because I think that man deserves so much more than Hollywood has given him. But I do think James Marston deserves more than he's gotten. Yeah. Um, I can't say I was necessarily surprised because I don't keep up with any of it. So it's like, Sure.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm obviously so happy that Janelle James and Mm -hmm. Cheryl Lee Ralph Mm -hmm. and Quinta and Tyler James Williams are all nominated because I adore them. I'm honestly, can I say, very
0: happy that Love is Blind. Oh my god. (laughs) Got nominated sure because it means there'll be more of them yeah exactly exactly
1: like i just want to be able to say emmy award-winning reality television show Mm -hmm. love is blind and obviously shout out to selling sunset and Vanderpup rules for getting nominated i feel like we've somehow covered so many of the shows that have gotten nominated for emmys which i think means that we have taste which i already knew but i love to be validated I will say what I think is most interesting about the Emmy nominations is how it feels like they just kind of happened randomly to me. I'm sure people out there know what day they're coming out, but I just feel like suddenly I log on to the remains of Twitter and I am being confronted with everyone being so happy for Melanie Linsky. And I'm always happy for Melanie Linsky, but I'm, I'm happy that she's happy as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's weird because the Emmys as a entity, are not only split into several ceremonies, but, like, more people are happier on nomination day, because getting nommed is the win, whereas at the actual ceremonies, it's like, there's one winner per five losers, so the odds aren't that great.
1: Mm-hmm. The odds are not in their favor. And it's not lost on either me or Candace that the Emmy noms are coming at, a let's say, pretty bad time for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. The Screen Actors Guild called
0: a strike this week, and... A lot of these nominees are in SAG. And meanwhile, the writer's strike is entering its, like, 12th week of picketing. And, you know, writers Mm -hmm. on those lines were nominated. Directors and actors and crew people who work on those shows were nominated. And that's why this round of Emmy nominations, it it just feels kind of icky to me.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't really help that Emmy's campaigning is this several months long affair Like, Mm -hmm. I really feel like the Emmys buzz hit the streets more than Beto O'Rourke did Mm -hmm. back in his misbegotten 2020 campaign. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to talk about the stickiness that comes with Emmys campaigning this year and why the internet still eats it up. Like, why is Jennifer Coolidge hitting on Jeremy Allen White? Why are actors sitting around a table ignoring Jeff Bridges? And does the internet make the Emmys relevant or just annoying and drawn out?
0: All that and more after the break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Hey, listeners, hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We're thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays on Spill, Kiki Palmer, and Jonah Hill. And
1: we're back to talk about Emmy nominations and how much the internet can make or break a campaign. Now, something to note, that I found out, is that the Emmys are usually in September. But this year, because of the writer's strike, they're considering pushing it back to November or even January. That feels like a big deal. Candace, as, you know, the Emmys scholar here, Mm -hmm. is it a big deal?
0: Yeah, I think it is. Because, you know, you're gonna see Brian Cox on Hot Ones. Just kidding. (laughs) He couldn't survive it like Logan Roy. And look, here's the thing. Award show campaigning is split up into like two legs. You know, the first part is getting nominated, right? So, for example, in the lead acting categories, there's maybe like 5 or 6 slots and you are fighting for one of them. The second leg of the tour is post-nom. So, this is when you do a lot of like very small screenings and Q&As cuz you're trying to get as many handshakes as possible between you and actual voting Academy members. However, When we like throw in the SAG strike, this changes things because SAG-AFTRA members are not allowed to do press junkets and red carpets and scheduled interviews. This does include podcasts and they can't promote any work on social media because that would be considered publicity. So if the Academy decides to push back the actual date of the ceremony to like November or January, you know, that's three months, five months of post-NOM campaigning gone. Pretty much voters have to make their choice now. And so there will not be Brian Cox on Hot Ones. You know, there will not be a Jeremy Strong staring down at you from like a Westfield parking garage.
1: And that's really sad to me personally. The last thing, (laughs) I mean, honestly, Brian Cox on Hot Ones would also be upsetting. So (laughs) actually both of those things not existing makes me sad. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about campaigning and how to play the game. I think... Some of the most obvious Emmys campaigning that I actually recognize as Emmys campaigning comes from those actors on actors mm-hmm. or Hollywood Reporter roundtables, right? Yeah. Where the actors basically sit in a weird kind of grayscale room <laughs> and talk about how good they were in Dahmer mm-hmm. or something. Um How imperative are these to actually getting nominated and winning?
0: Yeah, so I would say it is actually quite important... To get into these rooms during the campaign, you know, every Oscars and Emmy season, Variety, for example, they coordinate this thing called Actors and Actors. It's where they get like 12 or 13 conversations between actors they think will get nominated. So this year that included like Taryn Edgerton and Rachel Weiss or Natasha Lyonne and Melanie Linsky. And, you know, I had a friend who interned at Variety once and she told me that oftentimes it would not even be award season. It would just be a regular day in her life she would interview an actor and at the end of the interview the actor would be like hey um by the way just wanted to say would love to be on actors on actors and it's like haha okay thanks cole sprouse of riverdale now rachel i would really love to know what you think of these convos do you like like them do you watch them these actors on actors feel like something that are sometimes
1: made in a lab just for me like the pairings they have really feel so tailored Which makes it even more striking that I can't watch any of them. I can't get into them. Mm -hmm. I've literally had an actors-on-actors conversation between Def Patel and Octavia Spencer (laughs) saved uh, to watch on my YouTube for, I think, like, three years now. And I keep thinking, I'm going to watch that because I Uh I like both of these people Uh and I want to see them in conversation. But, like, it's something about it just, like, I don't actually want to watch it.
0: And the thing is, like, Rachel, I totally have felt that way with some conversations. But I do have to say, after years and years and years of these, I hate them. I hate them (laughs) so much. They are so rote. And to me, the biggest offender about this year is just that the pairings were so boring. They were so not interesting. And unfortunately, I'm about to come at two people who, like, I love, but I have some notes, which is that, I think Pedro Pascal and Steven Young being (gasps) paired together for actors on actors was so boring and it was so obvious because like they were both in apocalyptic shows. They're actors of color. They're not competing in the same category. So like, of course they'll play nice. And to me, I was just like, this is too obvious, but I can't tell if it's me being like, Oh, that's what my brain would have done. Or it's that I'm like, Oh, I wish you had like done something crazy like Pedro Pascal and Harrison Ford. That would have been fun too. But here's the thing. Like, The most interesting convo I saw this year from Variety was probably Catherine Heigl and Alan Pompeo because it just kind of turned into this, like, very interesting Grey's Anatomy reunion. However, Mm -hmm. if you're wondering, like, neither of these women even got nominated for their shows this year. Like Catherine was allegedly up for Firefly Lane. Okay. And Ellen did not even submit herself for Gray. So she was this she was there for the snacks. And so <laughs> if I see an actor entering this conversation, knowing they're probably not gonna get nominated or they just don't care about campaigning. So like jennifer gardner for her apple tv plus show i dare anyone to tell me the name of it like what they're gonna do is they're gonna show up on set and they're just gonna have a really annoying conversation about craft and about how hard it is to take my character home and it's just like boring industry talk that frankly does not move me at all
1: yeah i really think one of the lesser admitted things about hollywood is that listening to actors talk about acting to other actors Mm -hmm. is actually very boring. I don't care. Mm -hmm. The only person I care about hearing talk about their crap is unfortunately Jeremy Strong saying the word (laughs) dramaturgical. And that's it. That's really it. So obviously Candace and I are semi-anti- actors on actors. But mm-hmm. what about the roundtables that the Hollywood Reporter does? Those are also part of this whole campaign cycle. I think something I'm realizing is that a lot of the footage of actors I've seen over the past 6 months is all part of an Emmy nominations campaign <sighs> and I was just like, why are this? Why is why is Pedro everywhere? Why am I yeah. seeing all of these clips?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I would ironically argue that the roundtables are probably more imperative to ME campaigning because, you know, depending on scheduling and who they can get, the Hollywood Reporter will gather like five or six people they think will probably get nominated. And you will notice they're usually not nominated for the same show. Some are leads, some are supporting. There's a mix. And full disclosure, I used to intern at the Hollywood Reporter. But basically, to me, this is kind of like the Hollywood Reporter saying, hey, here's our slate for who we think will be nominated. And unfortunately, I do think that the TV Academy's voting body does look at these roundtables or they look at Scott Feinberg's forecast or Gold Derby's predictions. And, you know, sometimes they'll like throw in a random person who was probably just available that day for the roundtables. But most of the time, I do feel like they get maybe like four out of six nominations right per table.
1: I would love to be the random person just thrown in. That sounds so fun, but... I have a question for those of us in the audience, in the recording room who don't know who is Scott Feinberg and what is a gold derby?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Scott Feinberg, he is an awards editor for the Hollywood reporter and every award season, he does this thing called like Feinberg's forecast where he just kind of like maps out his very own predictions of who will get nominated, who will win, blah, 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 Gold derby to me is, like, the draft kings of Hollywood award shows. Like, it's a website. They basically aggregate, like, entertainment editors and critics, their predictions for, like, who's gonna win what, and they, like, tally up the odds of, like, "Eh, there's a ten-to-one chance Ted Lasso will get nominated for Outstanding Comedy. And so, random people can also, like, jump in and make predictions, too. There's, like, a scoreboard. I really, truly believe it's basically online betting for awards season. Not that I've ever done it. No money has changed these hands okay
1: (laughs) so it's like fantasy football but for emmy nominations
0: oh a 100 percent. yes
1: okay 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 i got it i understand Mm -hmm. so
0: the round tables
1: i'm really dragging my own attention span here but (laughs) i once again have never been able to get through a whole one of these i i see them and i think you know what i do want to see you know jeremy strong talk to bella ramsey about Mm. their acting and yet I don't. (laughs) I do, however, see clips and snippets pop up on my Twitter timeline a lot. I see them on my TikTok for you page a lot. Mm. For example, there was this moment between Jeff Bridges, Pedro Pascal, and Kieran Culkin in a recent roundtable. Are
0: you a daddy? I'm not a daddy. (laughs) And I'm not going to be a daddy. (laughs) I'm a daddy. Nobody likes my daddy part. <laughs> <laughs> or I think one I remember is like Jeremy Allen White, Jennifer Coolidge. They did an actors on actors together, and there was like this clip of Jeremy talking about how his hairstylist Allie would have this like candle with Jennifer's face on it, and he would stare at it every single day. I rigged that because I've had a crush on you, <laughs> and um, I asked Allie. I sent that candle. You just
1: sent it in there so I could be staring at it for the setup. Good, good, good,
0: good, good. good. But. You see, like there is this low level flirting here, but it's unabashed and they're doing it for the camera like this is part of Emmy campaigning. And part of it is making it seem like you're fun and you're charming and you're like cool to work with, a.k.a. someone you would vote for class president. And this stuff, it sounds stupid and it seems trivial, but (laughs) it worked because both of these people are nominated for Emmys this year and they're actually like front runners in their category.
1: It's giving that part, and I'm so sorry to do this, but that part in Hamilton where they're like, I could grab a beer with him.
0: Mm, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Something you brought up that I truly did not fully put together until we started talking about this episode is that basically any press by an actor in a TV show leading up to when Emmy nominations are dropped is part of an Emmys campaign. So like, Pedro Pascal and Hot Ones.
0: Yeah, let's talk about it.
1: I mean, I would love to. We did an episode about the internet boyfriendism of Pedro Pascal, which, where we write or where we write. And in March, he went on, you know, one of the many YouTube chicken wing eating shows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This one, Hot Ones, to promote The Mandalorian.
0: Can somebody step in here and let me bite into their flesh? (laughs) Dom. Can
1: somebody give me a cup of blood? (laughs) And the thing is, this worked. It worked on me. It worked on someone in the Academy. Because Pedro was nominated for three Emmys this year. Lead actor in The Last of Us, hosting SNL, and also narrating Patagonia, a CNN documentary, which I can only assume is about Patagonia,
0: not the brand. (laughs) The land. (laughs) The land. (laughs) Yeah. And like, by the way, please do not ignore the fact that Pedro was nominated for hosting SNL, which guess what? Was a campaign to promote The Last of Us, which he also was nominated for. He was nominated for campaigning. And also, you don't think Hot Ones is also gunning for an Emmy nomination because they were literally nominated for a daytime Emmy last year, okay? A chicken wing eating show. And so I just think The thing I wish people knew was that every time you see a celebrity eating a chicken wing, flirting with (laughs) Jeremy Allen White, like all of this is part of a machine. And that machine is specifically set up to get you an Emmy nomination or at least put your name in the convo, because after that, like hopefully you win and, you know. Maybe the next project you do, CD execs, they would be so happy to have trailers that say, like, starring, Emmy nominated, blah, 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 you know? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And the thing is, as we've said before on this podcast, in a very, you know, let's be honest, horny way, Pedro is charm unfiltered. But I don't think it's wild to say that at the top of this year, it would have been so easy to feel like... Pedro was being overexposed just because of how often I was seeing him Mm -hmm. because of the way not only was he campaigning, but then the internet turned his campaigning into this Ouroboros of cool (laughs) slutty daddy, basically. (laughs) But because Pedro is Pedro, it just turned into this month-long Pedro love fest that I was obviously very here for. Mm -hmm. The way he's nailed the internet, the way he's able to command so much attention and then kind of just, like, fall into the background, I have to feel like that contributed to the nominations that he got this year.
0: 100%. And so... My thing about these actors on actors conversations and these roundtables is that they're really long and there is really nothing worse than having a celebrity speak for more than five minutes. Because (laughs) uh, look at Rachel Bilson. Look at anyone who goes on Call Her Daddy. These quote unquote like. Must-do, should do, campaign stops can very quickly become internet bait to just like catch celebrities saying things they shouldn't. I will give one example. Cheryl Lee Ralph, Queen, Treasure, nominated this year for her Emmy winning role as Barbara Howard on Avid Elementary. We love her, however. She was on a Hollywood Reporter roundtable this year, and she was talking about like Reservation Dogs and their portrayal of the Native American community in Oklahoma. She used a specific term for that community, and devry Jacobs, who stars on Reservation Dogs, said this: "I want to respectfully um, just say that for us, we call ourselves Indians, but for other people, I would say Indigenous or, indigenous or Native people. American, or yeah, with I say that with all the love because listen, I, I respect that be- and look." Shout out to Cheryl Lee Rolfe for acknowledging and accepting that feedback so gracefully. Bigger shout out to Devry Jacobs for saying that and bringing it up. This was like very much a scenario where things were brought up, then settled. We moved on. But genuine question. In what other circumstance would Cheryl Lee <laughs> Rolfe need to be talking about Reservation Dogs? Like, she doesn't need to, but she did just because she wanted to. And this is the thing. I think these, like, cross-pollination conversations, I kind of think they're a trap. I think that there are just so many avenues and opportunities for actors to, like, kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. And let me be very clear. I think Cheryl Lee Rolfe deserved her nomination. I wish Reservation Dogs was nominated more. And I do think Cheryl will win. So like this whole little snafu is just kind of a bump in the road. But it's an example. And I just want to say, I really also hate when an actor sits across from another actor and they say, I loved your show so much. It spoke to me. And I'm like, really? You want us to believe that Brian Cox watched all six episodes of The English starring Emily Blunt? Really? It's just like, please. Anyway, I just feel like these are the places where campaigning actors, they could go unchecked. Basically, anywhere with a chair, I'm warning you guys, like a podcast, think twice, think twice. Unless it's our podcast, in which case don't think twice, accept that
1: booking <laughs> immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so the internet is probably one of the biggest contributors to the FYC or for your consideration machine because these sound bites, these clips, they go viral. And I start to care, even though I am not a voting member, nor do I really recognize why these clips are going viral. I'm Mm -hmm. just like, wow, I love Cheryl Lee Ralph. And then it's like, she's nominated. I mean, she should win. And those Mm -hmm. two things not connected at all in my little brain. (laughs) So... What's the point of campaigning for months and months if your internet audience is not the same as your voting body? If your internet audience isn't even necessarily piecing together that all these interviews they're seeing of you are part of a bigger machine? We're going to talk about that and how the writer strike factors into all of this after a quick break. Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. And we're back. Okay, before the break, we talked about some of the season's most viral Emmy campaign moments. We didn't even really get into all of them because there are so many. But... Now that we're here, I kind of want to ask, what's your favorite that we haven't mentioned yet? So
0: as stated above, we are anti-actors on actors, um, (laughs) and I'm losing love for the roundtables. But I will say, there was one that I actually did think was really fun and joyful, and that is the LA Times' Comedy Roundtable. Now, I am obsessed with this because this was a guest list of the randomest people put together in a room. Let me just read some people who were there. Janelle James. Delroy Lindo, Molly Shannon, Adam Scott, Anthony Kerrigan, Phil Dunster, and Jessica Williams. What? And I think the most ironic thing Is that like I actually did not watch this On the internet I actually watched this On literal Spectrum 1 news Because it was just Randomly airy (laughs) But I actually came into it At a really funny part Where Lorraine Ollie From the LA Times She asks When did you realize You made it? And Delroy Lindo Who's on this Hulu show With Kerry Washington Called Unprisoned He was talking about Being asked for A red carpet photo early in his career and a dude says mr Lindo, mr Lindo, can i get your photograph i said no i gotta go he said but nobody else wants it man i'm the only one who wants it <laughs> and then like jessica williams jumps in with the story and molly shannon jumps in like there's so many good nuggets here including adam scott giving delroy lindo his flowers just so you know your performance in crooklyn is one of the great performances. Oh my God. Just, and it's meant you. so much to me. Thank you. Ever since that movie came out, mm-hmm. opening weekend. And then there's like a part where Jessica Williams like reaches across the table and she tells Molly Shannon that she was the reason she started doing comedy. You were literally yeah. one of the first, especially when you were on, you were one of the first people that I watched that I thought, like, I watched it with my grandma. My grandma's no longer with us when I started doing comedy. She died. And I would go and she would babysit me. And we wish you would let me stay up and I would watch you. And I thought, you, you, you have always given it hundred percent And you've been just like this very fearless, very funny person for a long time. And I just man. And you're literally like literally, you're literally just And then like Jessica is just like crying, like a tear, like literally hit the table. And I just love this round table because it was so random. And I could not have pulled this out of a hat. But it had that like organic chemistry, that magic, that's something that those dumb actors on actors convos don't. And to me, I have to say, like, I was watching it and it didn't feel like Emmy campaigning to me. Like, it felt like all of them just wanted to be there just to hang out. And they got me. And I mean, like, truly, where else would you hear Adam Scott tell Delroy Lindo that Crooklyn changed his life?
1: I mean, nowhere else. That's the beauty of coordinating a roundtable as someone who has done it before. Very often Mm -hmm. the impulse is like, okay, who are the most famous people I can get in a room? Who can I get to accept this invitation for this moment, for this day? It really all comes down to scheduling Mm -hmm. a lot of the times. But the actual thing you need to be worrying about is not the names It is the energy in the room. It's the vibe. It's you need to give the the chemistry. chemistry. You need to give room basically to breathe. You need to give room for spontaneity. You can't expect it to flow in a specific way because the best part of a conversation is when you have something unexpected coming on. I think it's really interesting that we're talking about the Emmys this year because some shit's happening in Hollywood. A lot of shit is happening in Hollywood. The writers have been on strike. The actors are now on strike. And this is the first time in 63 years that the two guilds are on strike at the same time. Like there's some real big one-you energy happening right now in Hollywood. And the thing is, so many great talented people in both guilds were nominated for their work this week. But the people who pay them the people who hire them and promote them and tell them to go on actors on actors and these roundtables, the reason these actors are on strike and the reason that these writers are on strike is because those people who hold the coin purses are not giving them a fair deal. They're not coming to the table. They're trying to starve them out basically. And studios are the big bad who use the Emmys to make themselves look good and feel good and make more shows and all that stuff and make you feel good about TV I guess, Candace, as somebody who has, you know, kept up with Emmys a lot longer than I have, how does it feel to kind of watch these nominations roll out in the middle of these negotiations between basically biggest unions in Hollywood?
0: Uh, It's complicated and disappointing. You know, when the writer's strike started, there were a few rules that union members and pre-union members were strongly advised to follow. One of them was to not put anything into the pipeline. So this just means don't submit work to studios, don't do rewrites, put the pen down. And then people started asking, okay, well, hold on. Can I, like, go on this podcast? Can they mention my show? Can I go on this late night show in the UK? Can I do press? And then the new suggestion was that if a studio, so the big bad, Netflix, Disney, all those people... Asks you to do press or do an interview with the publication, it is advised you say no, because every ticket sold, every minute streamed benefits those studios right now. And that was advice mainly for writers in the Guild. But Emmy's campaigning effectively is press. So... To me, it just felt weird to watch all of these actors who are getting nominated for the words that were written by writers who are striking to just like laugh with Brian Cox or like chop it up with Theo James. Like what I wanted to do is I just wanted to scream like, guys, wake up. I'm not saying that you're crossing picket lines like Kim Kardashian, but I am saying that this is maybe not the best portrayal of solidarity. Mm -hmm. You're right.
1: And simultaneously, the inverse of not doing any campaigning to basically be in solidarity with the writers before the Actors Guild went on strike is that all of your other peers in the industry are doing the roundtables. And that means that if you don't mm-hmm. do them, you might not get nominated or your show might not win, which means your show might not get renewed because God knows what metric streaming services used to renew shows at this point and then you might not work until these strikes are over and it's a really really tough place to be in
0: it's a tough place and i want to also note that it really was not that long ago when the pandemic shut down hollywood too you know effectively everyone from the top to bottom actors to grips they were out of work so this merging of two union strikes you know it feels like you know like people were just starting to get back to work again but I feel like that's kind of where my sympathy ends regarding Emmy's campaigning because I look back at every video and every round table and I'm just like was all of this really necessary during a writer strike? And now, during an actor's guild strike, because, you know, if you are an actor with a platform and you are, like, this beloved internet boyfriend, so let's say, like, Pedro Pascal or Jeremy Allen White, you know, you have drudged up enough goodwill and you've got this strong digital base of fans who are watching your every move. They're listening to every word you say. And I'm willing to bet that that fan base wants you to do the right thing and, like, support writers.
1: Definitely. And... When I think about the internet's role in Emmy campaigning, I'm curious as to how impactful you really think it is. Like, obviously we're seeing, you know, these videos go viral, we're seeing these clips all over our feed, but... Does it really matter how many fan cams of Kieran Culkin I post in terms of him getting nominated and then winning?
0: (laughs) You know, I think it does matter. I think it does matter. (laughs) And you should post more. But, you know, this is where I kind of compare the Emmys to the Oscars. You know, Film Bro Twitter, FBT, is alive and well and... You'll notice that the Oscars, historically, have really often nominated and given awards to the people that Twitter does not want to give them to. As you said above, Green Book, anyone? Yes. And so there is this disconnect with the Emmys. I think the Internet just plays a bigger role. You know, first, the Emmys are more predictable, like when Julia Louis-Dreyfus won four Emmys in a row for veeb Did you really think that she was not going to win that fifth Emmy for Veep? <laughs> Second, I just think that the Emmy voting body is more online than the Oscars body. Now, I don't have a demographic chart, but I'm just saying that television writers and producers and showrunners, you know, they're younger than the Oscars voting body. They're more digitally aware, if not digitally native, and I think they're just like a little more interested in what the people are saying because they're trying to make television for those people. Mm. Look at how active Quinta Brunson, creator of Abbott Elementary, is online. She is the busiest woman in Hollywood right now, and yet she is posting a meme every single time there's a new episode of Abbott. And, you know, because there's more TV people online, I just feel like they're more likely to see the Barry fan cam or Jeremy Strong saying he wants to be a hummingbird. (laughs) But, you know, this goes back to the role of TV in our lives. TV was always a medium that kind of met us daily or weekly in the living room. It's always felt like the more intimate art form in comparison to film, which is usually like a very one and done experience, at least to me, but isn't social media an even more intimate experience. It's like, One that we hold and post and use in the palm of our hands. And so the internet, which brings actors and writers and industry people even closer and closer to viewers, like it bridges that gap. And so truly, I would not be surprised if a Carmi fan cam is the reason someone votes for Jeremy Allen White this year.
1: Honestly, the fan cam creators, the edit creators, they're doing the Lord's work. They're publicists. They're publicists and should be paid as <laughs> such, honestly. I mean, with everything in the ecosystem, the strikes, the noms, the fan cams, I feel like there are definitely some moments of joy in this list of nominees, even if mm-hmm. we don't find out who won until February. <laughs> I did want to ask is there anyone that you're rooting for? I'll go first, because I feel like, you know. I actually have very... I have much fewer categories because I really only know like 10 people (laughs) who are nominated. I think the most hotly contested field at the moment is Best Leading Actor in a Drama Series because three of the actors in succession have been nominated. Kieran Culkin jeremy strong and brian cox even though brian cox was in three episodes out of the 10 in the season mm-hmm. which is a very logan roy thing to do everyone's like jeremy is <laughs> method actually brian cox's method let's be real here but i think it's karen's year nadir goff said this on slate.com i think it's karen's the year to win i think he did incredibly this season again having watched all four seasons in a span of about a month He his performance just improved so much like year over year over year. So I'm just, I'm really rooting for Kieran. And then obviously I really want my girl Janelle James to win Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series just because I'm obsessed with her. I love her. I want her to win everything.
0: I do too. Here's the thing. I'm with you about lead actor because unfortunately there's like pretty much only three places that can go. It's either Jeremy Strong repeats Brian Cox wins it or all three succession actors split and it goes straight to Pedro Pascal, which I'm not mad about because The Last of Us was one of my favorite shows. However, the reason I am throwing so many tomatoes at Brian (laughs) Cox in this episode is for the reason you just said. He... Spoiler was not in many episodes this season. <laughs> and therefore, I just think he should have been bumped down to at least supporting or a guest because that would have given Jeremy and Kieran at least a 50-50 shot, but now they've lowered it to 33%. And I'm just like, ah, You're right. Again, Barry Logan Roy to basically fuck over yes! <laughs> Kieran.
1: Yes! And Jeremy... And I'm gonna be honest, even though I'm I'm not happy about it because I want Kieran to win, it does <laughs> make me laugh because it it feels like an extenuation of this show that just ended.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so I will say very good picks, Janelle James, love you. I'm with you on that. Um, the person I'm rooting for is someone I actually mentioned up top. It's Jessica Williams. So Jessica Williams is nominated for Best Supporting Actress for the Apple TV Plus show Shrinking. This stars Jason Segel, Harrison Ford. They're all therapists. And you know, a few years ago, Jessica took a break from acting after the unexpected passing of her boyfriend. And I remember really commending Jessica for taking that break and not talking about it until she was ready to because like my heart broke for her. I loved her. In the second season of Love Life, I loved Two Dope Queens. I was very formative in my own podcasting career. And so I love her so much. And I will have to admit that I like cried a little during the LA Times roundtable we brought up because she just seems so full of joy. And, you know, she plays a therapist on shrinking who lost her best friend. And so, you know, Jessica has talked about how acting, especially on a show about grief was kind of therapeutic for her. And all I want is for her to heal and be happy in this absolute horrible industry that I'm obsessed with. So even though I'm like sitting here and I am saying that Emmy campaigning is a vanity performance. I do think that for some people there is this redemption arc or this hope that they are not done just yet, you know? I think about Cheryl Lee Rolfe and her acceptance speech last year. Mwah, amazing, iconic. I think about Jennifer Coolidge having this massive comeback and getting her first ever Emmy nomination and win last year. Like, I just think about Jessica Williams and the generation of artists that she is a part of who are so bright and so full of life. And I think what it is is that this writer strike has been so depressing right because a writer strike is really about protecting the next generation of creatives and I just think Jessica Williams Quinta Brunson these are people who are gonna be imperative in leading that charge and fighting for that and so I just want Jessica to enjoy this time I want her to have more life and I want her to have more flowers too
1: I mean, same. I think that's what makes these strikes so important. I think about the fact that you mentioned Shirley Ralph, Jennifer Coolidge, Jasmine Guy, who played Whitley Gilbert in A Different World, Mm -hmm. was just nominated for her first Emmy, despite the fact that A Different World is one of the most impactful Black television shows to exist. I'm upset that it's a Cosby production, but we can't have everything. But you're so right. These strikes are so much about protecting and guarding for the future. And it makes this Emmy season a little sad, honestly, because I would love for these women that we're talking about to just be able to enjoy their flowers in peace. But I really, really hope that ultimately the outcome of these strikes is that we have more people like Jasmine Guy and Cheryl Lee Ralph and Jessica Williams and Jennifer Coolidge who have more protections and can get some fucking residuals. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your striking writers and actors about us. They need something to listen to while they're on the picket line. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, why am I seeing Jennifer Coolidge and Jeremy Allen White flirting? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com.
0: ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or on the picket line. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. <sighs>